of it. And, he, and so I was just feeling for him. And, and he says, I'm saying to myself, be a man, be a man. And he is a man. He is a man of God. And how many times has he said to us, this is our God. This is the God who parts the heavens and comes down and rescues and delivers. Uh, but I'm at a stage now, I said to Dan, I, I'm just, my prayers are moaning and groaning. And uh, just to get this thing resolved. She was hoping to be there at 7 o'clock this morning and just sent me a text. I just can't face it. So overwhelming to me. And um, so anyway, Carmel, we named her after Mount Carmel. And do you know that place in the Old Testament where, where Elijah sets up the context uh, once for all, let's determine who the living God is. And, you know, that's the fire when God parts the heavens and comes down. And they all fall, believer and unbeliever, fall together to say, this, this one is the living God. And we, we need a more, we're in this series more here at uh, Genesis, and we need a more as a family. Uh, two weeks from today, we're hoping to go to Michigan City, Indiana, for a two-week vacation we were in a big old family home, and here's my prayer. My prayer is God would, however God does it, could have Carmel be with us for those two weeks. We could enjoy it together. So I've been asked to pray. and uh, I did that. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, so as... Uh, as we were singing the worship songs, both songs had the phrase about breathing and about breath uh, being used to praise God. And I don't know if any of you get Carmel's uh, posts on Facebook, but uh, her most recent post that I saw, uh, she talked about what she was going through, and then she finished with this amazing testimony of her faith. Uh, and so Carmel fighting for every breath, every moment, every day. <laughs> She's using that breath to type praise to God. So let's lift up our sister. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Just like the four friends brought their paralyzed friend into your presence. We, as friends and family of Carmel, are bringing her to your presence. And just like her name testifies to that witness that you are God. And you can do more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, we are asking right now. And we're even imagining her being with the family in two weeks on a vacation. Not tethered, but whole. And as she's in the doctors, uh, with the doctors and the nurses and the technicians today in the hospital, we pray that you would give them more insight and more understanding, but that you would be even more than they can possibly even do. That you would do above and beyond. Oh God, hold her up. Heal her. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. May she take a deep breath. And may it just course oxygen through her body, Lord. We pray too for Bo as he holds Carmel, that God, you would encourage his heart 
as he's been giving so much to us and pastoring us through, through one of his most difficult trials and most difficult days. We thank you for him and hold him up. Give him more. And we pray for a little harvest as he's going through something he doesn't understand. May he come to realize that your grace is sufficient for his every need as well. And when his mom and dad are are struggling, let him know that you're mom and dad to him as well. And just as as Bo held Carmel, and you hold Carmel, and you hold Bo, you hold Harvest. We pray that your grace would be sufficient, and more than sufficient, and that we would rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So, any more sharing of praises this week? Okay, so um, this is very hard for me to stand up, but I struggle with, um, I shared in my small group how I struggle with praying out loud. I always feel like I don't have the right words that come out of my mouth or they don't come out the right way or um, just I don't have the confidence in a lot of those things. So my, um, two weeks ago, my best friend from high school, junior high, I guess, so many years, her father was on his deathbed. He was on life support. And she asked me to come up to the hospital that they were going to take his breathing tube out at a certain time, and she wanted me to be there. So I traveled to Cleveland that morning, and I found myself at the hospital about an hour and a half before the family was going to be there. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go up there and be with her dad, and what do I say? And um, so I was I was in the parking garage praying what to, to God, you know, give me words. And so I Googled um, scriptures or things to say to the dying, and I got this wonderful website that had like 25 scriptures and psalms and other things to say, and I was like, okay, so I go into the hospital, and of course, then I went down to get something to eat to delay the time, and I finally made it up there, and I sat down and held his hand, and I just started reading beautiful scriptures, and it just, I was able to talk about the scriptures and and just have these moments, and so I read everything, and I look, and I'm like, okay, I still probably have about... 40 minutes before the rest of family is going to be here. So I just started reading them over again. And I got to one that said, your dying hour is the best hour of your life. And he shuddered from head to toe while I was holding his hand. And I almost jumped out of my chair. I, but he heard, he heard, I believe, everything I was saying. And um, it was such a blessing for me to know that I was there for him, but um, I don't have to have the words come out of my mouth. I can find the words. I can find the things that need to be said, and so it was a God moment, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing. Anyone else? 
All right, let's continue our worship this morning. Thank you. Good morning again. My name is Liv, and welcome to Genesis. We're glad that you're with us. Just a few um, announcements this morning. The green card that's in your program, which is slightly less green, green than it used to be, if you remember. But we use, utilize this to uh, maintain your contact information, particularly if you're new. Uh, you can submit prayer requests on it, and then typically there are some volunteer opportunities um, and a way for you to connect with us and us to connect with you. So we, we want to make sure that you are connected here at Genesis, and one way that we do that is if you join a small group. We're currently in a series, I think we have a couple more weeks um, of this particular series. So whether it's you want to join a small group and check it out, there are a number of opportunities that are local. They can be you know family or men only, women only, in different times of day. So we'd love for you to join one of those groups and then hopefully stay connected through, um, through that group even beyond this current series. And also, check your program. There's a number of other announcements. There's Thursday evening painting opportunities. There is a need for projection team volunteers. If you have any interest in that way, uh, you will be trained. You don't have to know everything coming into that. And then there is a highlight in the program in this little green box, the Compassion Partner uh, Spotlight. The Genesis Community Cafe, if you're not familiar with that, That um, happens on Saturdays here in our church in South Hall, and we typically do need, whether it's sponsors financially, volunteers, you can do that just with your family, or you can grab some friends in a small group, but we we do need a team each time to pull that off. So there are meal sponsors still needed to uh, do the meals in the summer, June 22nd and August uh, 10th. So if you have any inkling, or if you have some open time during the summer, we'd love to have you uh, join us in that way. Where is our resident elder statesman, Harvey Curley? Come on down. Harvey's got a a special ask for you this morning and a prop, which he would not reveal what it was for. So here we go. Thank you. Good morning. I am up here to talk about our annual church picnic that's going to be held this coming Saturday, the 25th, up at Camp Leal. How many, show my hands, how many's been up to Camp Leal? It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, isn't it, Jackie? Yeah. Well, I'm up here to encourage you to uh, take some time on Saturday. Um, our annual picnic is going to be at 1230. Uh, bring your own meat, uh, your own table settings, uh, bring a dish to pass, and um, bring something to drink. Uh, we already have probably 60 people signed up so far. And if you'd like to spend the weekend up at Camp Leal, um, Vicki or Jody are out in the lobby to sign you up. There's cabins. Uh, you can bring up a tent or a, a trailer, whatever. And we have a lot of fun. There's um, kayaking, um, rowboating, canoeing, swimming, and hi- uh, hiking, as I said. So there's a lot of the things for you to do to, uh, to be up there. Um, you're probably wondering what this is. Does anybody know what this is? Bocce ball. You've ever play, have you ever played bocce ball? Well, this is not like any bocce ball that you're used to playing. This type of bocce ball can only be played from the entire world at Camp Leal. And it is not called bocce ball. It is called Ken's bocce ball. 
Basically, you take the bocce ball and you throw it up against a wall, you throw it into the water, you throw it into the sand, and uh, you throw it 20 feet or you throw it 100 feet, doesn't matter, and you keep score. So um, men and women play it. I'm terrible at it because the opposite team throws the other ball far away, and I can, at my age, I can only throw this probably from here to that door over there, so uh, I've never won yet. But it's, but it's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. Um, you can get the directions uh, to Camp Leal from Jody or from uh, Vicki. Um, people my age take a piece of paper and a pencil and draw a map, and uh, the rest of you probably take out your cell phone and you say, okay, Google, take me to Camp Leal and you get your directions that way. I haven't learned how to do that uh, yet. On a serious note, um, I love going up there because the folks from the church, when you go up there, you're not like the same that you're sitting here in, in, in the pews. You, you, you really open yourself up. You're uh, more free, and you're, there's more things to do. So it's not just going up there and having fun. It's going up there and really having fellowship with one another. And I think that's tremendously important for our church, particularly at this, at, at this time. Um, I, I just, I'm done, but I'll just freely say that I don't know, I haven't talked to anybody, and no one's mentioned to me, I'm anxious to hear what happened in South Africa. I know they're back, and I'm anxious to hear what happened. And, boy, the Holy Spirit, we're with them every single day. And uh, what they did in South Africa for those days that were there, we, we need an opportunity to hug them and give them a great round of applause for doing what they did up there. Yeah, you can applaud. Thank you, Harvey. So at this time, if we have any students here still in service, you are released to join your groups. And then for connection time, I'm going to release you in our morning meeting. Harvey said, tell people not to talk to people who they've known for 45 years. <laughs> Except that everybody in that room, it only probably applied to Harvey, right? I, I don't know. So the, his point being, um, seek out people that you don't know, you know, especially if you see somebody sitting by themselves, say hello, get up, greet one another, and we'll continue our service.
Should I let this go on? Hey, we're out of town, so you can do whatever. You think everybody's connected? Are you ready for Elvis Presley? Okay, if everyone will take their seats and the ushers will come forth, we will uh, we'll do our hymn for this week. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone. appears and the night draws near and the 
history teacher who um, would fill the boards with writing and information and then he'd erase it mostly. And it drove me nuts that he wouldn't ever just entirely clean his chalkboard. There was always a piece of a word or um, just a bit of a corner that was never totally erased. And I wasn't the only one who noticed it. Everybody else in my class noticed it too. We talked about it. We had theories about it. And finally, at the end of the school year, one of my classmates asked him, like, why don't you ever entirely clean off the chalkboard? And he's like, because it keeps you paying attention. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I was taught this in college, that if I don't entirely erase my chalkboard, your guys' eyes will stay on the board at all times. And it worked. So for today, imagine this chair is the mostly erased chalkboard. I will explain it at the end, but it's here to help you keep paying attention. That's okay. I'll explain it in a few minutes, Jackie. (laughs) Good morning. My name is Liz. I am one of the elders here at Genesis. And um, as was mentioned already this morning, we are kind of on the tail end of a series called More. We have been tackling this idea that God has made us for more more Jesus, more grace, more community, more mission. And today, I would like us all to just marinate in this idea that God has made us for more love. To experience more love, to give more love. And to begin, I'm just going to ask God to come in and speak louder than me this morning. So God, I just ask that you are here, that we are reminded of your deep, amazing, endless love for us. God, that you would bring to our minds ways that we can love others. God, ways that we can rest. God, ways that we can go out and be your love in the world. God, I ask that your spirit is louder than the words I have written down here today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Has anyone ever noticed that there are a ton of movies and epic stories? Kind of, the movies aren't throughout history, but think about great literature. So much of it is centered around this idea of an endless power source. Now, the first thing, confession, that came to mind when I was thinking about this idea of an endless power source was the Transformers movies and the AllSpark. Um, Also, another great one, Night and Day. It has Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, but it's centered around this idea of a battery that can never, ever die. And there's wars being fought over this. Uh, The Lord of the Rings stories. There we go. Great literature. Also centered around the idea that there is one ring that has power over all the others. And although I have a tendency to fall asleep during superhero movies, I believe that the most recent Avengers movies also have this idea of a power that is so big and so strong. It's intriguing. It's exciting. It speaks to something that we as a society desire. And at this point in the church, we've talked about how Jesus is more. We're made for more, more than we know. We're called to be more, move more, be more on mission where we are. But that can feel exhausting. And that's not what it's supposed to be. So I'm going to propose today that there is an endless, eternal, everlasting power source for us to be love in action. And that is this. The endless source of eternal motivation to love others is the endless love of God. The endless source of eternal motivation to love others is the endless love of Christ. And the main portion today of the Bible that we're going to be taking uh, this idea out of is Ephesians 3, starting in verse 16. And I'm going to read it. And while I read it, either follow along in your Bible or your Bible app or on the screen, or if you're more of an audio person, just close your eyes and listen because these verses are so good. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. When I saw that that was my passage, I was like, well, that's it. I just read that, and then I'm done, and then you guys can all go about your Sunday. Because that's it. That's the power of the gospel right there. This is part of a letter that Paul was writing as encouragement to the church in Ephesus. And I feel like in this, Paul completely covers from the start of someone who's following Jesus, Christ making his home in his heart, to the part of the verses where God can do infinitely more than we can grasp. I'm a runner and a running coach. And I love the process of learning how we function as humans and athletes. Recently, I was listening to a sports psychologist who wrote a book about brains and athletic achievement. 
and a performance. And his thesis for this work was that athletes, humans, never reach their full potential. That no one ever has. Think of the greatest athletes you know. They still haven't reached their full potential because there is a part of their brain, a part of their imagination that blocks it. That ultimately they tell themselves that they can't do more and so they don't. And I'm going to assume that sitting here today, there are people who believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus, but don't feel like they're experiencing the more that's promised. Who maybe don't feel like they're experiencing the fullness of God and serving the kingdom with their full potential. I I often feel under that category. I often ask God, why does this feel so hard? And in this line of thought, I feel like Paul, in those verses in Ephesians, is playing the role of sports psychologist, the part of cheerleader for the followers of Jesus as he's calling on the potential of believers. But instead of your athletic ability or your mindset being the source of all things, he is saying God's love is the root, the foundation of all the big, full, love-filled life that God wants for you. Paul reminds us that Jesus embodied and lived out more. He was rooted in God's love for him. And looking at Jesus, we remember that out of all of his words, we know ultimately he gave us two basic commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. All those red words of Jesus in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not supposed to be hard because he also says, come to me, you who are weary, carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle, and you will find rest for your souls. So if Jesus is who you follow, you have access to this endless power source. So today I'm going to propose that there's maybe a couple of steps that we can all take from simply hearing about God's love to living it out with your friends, your family, your co-workers, or even strangers, to move from hearing about God's love from a speaker on a stage to loving people because of God's love at your table, in your everyday lives, from hearing about God's deep love for you to sharing that deep love with others and to experience it all without limits. The first of these steps is to take time to sit and rest in God's love for you. The church word for this is abide. When you look at Jesus' life, you see him do this. You see regular patterns of Jesus going and being quiet with God and then emerging, coming back to his ministry with renewed confidence and energy towards loving people. Again, this is one of those things that for so long for me felt like more work. It felt like one more thing I needed to do to check off my list to say that I'm a good Christian. Quiet time, right? If you're not doing your devotions, probably look down on. That's not true. Something has recently changed my view of this as more than it it not being just another thing on my to-do list, but to seeing how Jesus valued it. And it's my kids. So I often talk about my kiddos. They were all adopted into our family. It shapes our identity and their identity in really unique ways. So that is my oldest son, 
This is on his sixth birthday. This is the only picture I could find of him and I in the last six months. <laughs> he doesn't like to have his picture taken. Um, and this identity, this piece of being adopted into our family, he struggles with. Probably a lot more than the other two, because his two brothers are younger than him. He's the oldest. He's lived with it the longest. For all six years of his life, he has known, has been told that, that he is adopted or was adopted. But I've learned this recently, that when he is out of sorts and he isn't comfortable in his own skin and he isn't sure of our place or his place in our family, I have to sit with him. I sit with him quietly, I rub his back, I squeeze his arms, and I tell him this. There is nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you. There's nothing you can do that will make me stop loving you. And he starts to calm. And he usually climbs onto my lap. And then we play this game where I ask him, how big do I love you? He goes, as big as Detroit. How big do I love you? I'll ask again. He'll go, as big as Michigan. I said, how big do I love you? He goes, as big as the universe. Yep. I say, to infinity and beyond. And if we miss a day of this routine, he forgets. He stops believing how much I love him or doubts that it's real. And this doubt or forgetfulness, it doesn't change the fact that he is loved, that he is my kid. But it changes how he acts towards others and towards me. That part of his identity that is powered by being my son and being deeply loved slips away and is replaced with other identifiers that aren't as good. Family, we are my son. It's written that we are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters, and as such, we are deeply loved. And in Ephesians, it says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how deep his love is. That's why Jesus went off to sit with the Father, be reminded that God loves us as big as Detroit, as big as Michigan, as big as the universe, to infinity and beyond. But we have to sit still and hear to remember who we are every single day. Next step. To move from being or from hearing about God's love to doing God's love is to look at Jesus, to become like Jesus, to see how he loved people in his time. He's the best example. He was and is the master of loving people and caring for them and loving them because God loved them first. I have known the stories of Jesus and what he did on earth for most of my life. But a couple years ago, I started to re- think about how Jesus actually interacted with people. How well he loved those he came in contact with. The strangers who he listened to, who he made feel safe enough to share in just a few sentences. The outcasts that he welcomed to him and shared a meal with. His closest friends who became family to him. He was so patient with them wanting them to know truth and freedom of the gospel message that he was bringing to earth. 
And maybe the most striking thing that I keep coming back to is the fact that Jesus, even when he was being rejected and he's being kicked out of a town, would still heal people. It's repeated in in the Gospels that as like an afterthought, he would heal people. It was the least he could do when leaving a place. I mean, he was hanging on a cross and he was comforting the person next to him, loving him and forgiving him. Loving people was so deeply rooted in who Jesus was, he couldn't just leave suffering. He alleviated pain and spoke truth and love and hope to all people. And again, I think it's because he was so connected to God and how much God loved him. And he knew all people were uniquely made by God and known by God. Now, if you spend any time with me at all or come into my house, you will see artifacts of my trips to India. It's my favorite country to be in. I can talk about it forever. But I remember one specific night. I was in this city called Varanasi. Has anybody been there? It's an ancient city. It's full of meaning for both the Hindu and Islam religions. And at dusk, we were taken in a rowboat down the Ganges River to an end-of-day Hindu religious ceremony. That's the picture that I took from the river that night. All day in this city had felt spiritually heavy. Before the boat ride, we had spent the day documenting stories of survivors of human trafficking. That was heavy. We had heard firsthand accounts of people being persecuted for their faith on all sides. That was heavy. And now, on the river, with so many others, you could feel it. There was a battle going on in that city for souls. And I sat in this rocking boat, surrounded by hundreds of people, worshiping and witnessing this event, and I felt defeated. I thought I was too small. I was too powerless. And then as it happens sometimes, when you least expect it, the quiet voice of God spoke up, entered my brain, and he said, and I know every one of their names. They are not lost to me. When you look at what Jesus did, not just his words, but his actions, he demonstrated love. Because he knew that all people mattered to God, were seen by God, were loved by God. It is described so well in 1 John 4. So I'm going to read that to you now. Starting in verse 15. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us. We have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence, because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. 
I was in New York last weekend with some really dear friends, and one of them actually taught at their church last Sunday and described the life of someone who believes in Jesus as being marked with rest and risk. The rest we already talked about. Come to me, you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The risk part, that's described in those verses in 1 John. Love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. Again, Jesus came to those who are burdened. He casts out fear. We love because he first loved us with nothing to fear, nothing to hide, and nothing to prove. Final step. Not really, because this is, you can imagine, this goes over and over and over again in our lives. But the next step I have for moving from hearing about God's love to doing it and putting it into action in your context is this. Do what Jesus did. Ask the question, what would Jesus do? Not in the woven bracelet WWJD thing from 20 years ago kind of way, but instead ask the question, what would Jesus do if Jesus were me? Now this may come as a surprise to you all, but I have never and will never be a single middle-aged, Middle Eastern man living in the Roman Empire, traveling around with a pack of dudes, spreading God's love to people in Israel. It just can't happen, right? I am a middle-aged, stay-at-home mom of three boys, wife, living in the city of Detroit. That is my context. And every person in this room has their own unique, specific context with unique lives, a unique address, unique interactions with people who are all known and loved by God. So if I am powered by this endless love of God and know the ways of Jesus and how he loved people, how can I take that and apply it to my context, my work, my neighborhood? For me, in my context, this has most often been through inviting people to my table and accepting any invitations that our wild crew gets to the tables of others. I was laughing as I was writing this a little bit because I was thinking about how I now always cook for 10, even though our family just has five, because we never know who's going to show up. In the past two weeks, I think there's been one, maybe two dinners that has been just our immediate family. For me, loving people has looked like extra water being added to the soup while people's eyes are closed praying for dinner because five extra people showed up. It's looked like folding chairs stacked in the corner of my dining room, ready to be pulled out at a moment's notice. It's looked like learning to cook vegan because my neighbors directly to the north of me only eat vegan and I wanted them to feel welcome. It has looked like quickly making up beds on the floor for teens who have been kicked out of their houses late at night. It has looked like popsicles handed out to every kid on my block as they show up in my backyard weekly. It has looked like staying up late and listening to the stories of my neighbors and their families and their issues with the church and giving mom hugs to neighbors whose moms haven't hugged them in a while because of who they love. 
It has looked like an open door, open table, open invitation to join us as family. Come once, you're a guest. Come again in your family. That's our rule. It hasn't always been convenient or pretty, (laughs) trying to prioritize loving people. I remember one day, this was not my finest moment, um, my husband came into the room and told me that a couple, acquaintances of ours, had picked up food and were on their way to our house for dinner. We had told them our door was always open and if they needed a family to be with, but if it was under an hour, bring your own meal. So that's what they were doing. I had just started laundry. It was our first kind of down moment of the week. And I had sorted dirty clothes in my living room. And I look around and there's piles of literal dirty laundry everywhere. And so I quickly started shoving it back into bags and baskets. Now, for the record, my house is never perfect when you come over. But I have a thing like dirty laundry is just a whole other thing. So I'm shoving it into the baskets and the bags, trying to get it out of the way so that when this couple comes in, they'll have a place to sit. And I said, man, it is hard to hide your stuff when people feel loved enough that they invite themselves over. I did not say stuff. I was flustered and I was not feeling very loving that night. But it's true, loving people, truly welcoming them in, makes it really hard to hide your dirty laundry, literal or figurative. I was sharing this part of this talk with my husband last night, and he's like, Liz, you got to tell him this. He goes, you got to tell them. He goes, that, that my husband, Jay, he's an extrovert. He values loving people. It's one of our top values as a family. But inviting people in does not affect him. He loves it. It gives him energy. He could have a dozen people around all the time, and he would be a better person. I, however, introvert, strong introvert, who values loving people and having people around everything. It costs. It's draining. And that's when you got to go back to that endless power source of God's love. Loving people, welcoming in, can be risky. But it's so good when it's rooted in God's love. And I cling, sometimes desperately, to the promise of his glorious, unlimited resource of love as he empowers us with inner strength through his spirit. If you've spent the last few weeks here, you've been hearing about God has made you for more mission. And I would like to clarify, the mission, being involved in kingdom work, being called to action, being sent, that is the end game. Sitting and being saturated by the love of God, that's the starting line. That is, as Paul puts it, the unlimited resource from which God will power you. Now the chair. You guys still paying attention? Is this distracting anybody? (laughs) This is an exercise that I used to do with the women that I would disciple when we lived in Traverse City. I have never tried it in a room this big. It may not work or speak to you, but that's okay, right? It's a risk. It's part of following Jesus. And what I really want to do to wrap up today is to put some roots down of God's love for us. So we're going to use our imaginations a little bit. 
Imagine that Jesus is sitting in this chair. Imagine him as he would function in today's context. Sorry, I put you on a table, Jesus. Sit comfortably. All right. Instead of robes, maybe jeans. Unassuming in appearance, but full of love for all of you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Remember, God is love. He sent his son to die to save your relationship. Remember, Jesus is gentle and humble. He is the kind of guy people open up to easily. Kids like to hang out with him. So you have to imagine he knew how to smile, laugh, maybe even get on the ground and play. So imagine that he is here today to remind you that God loves you. So that you start your week with that as your power source. A song is going to play. And as it plays, I just want you to think about what he's going to say to you. Only you. To remind you of God's love for you. Whatever loving things you hear, I pray that you accept them. Marinate on them. Let the roots grow deep. Be your foundation. And let these few minutes sitting in God's love change you.
So I hope and pray that Jesus' words as you heard them renew you with that endless power source. May you go today ready to rest in Jesus' love and risk loving those around you. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now glory to God who is able, through his mighty work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for doing that. That was great. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was good. Yeah. Way to step in, fill in when you needed to. <laughs> good job. How much advance notice did you get? Oh, he, so because he was supposed, Bo was supposed to be out of town this week. Oh, he was. Yeah, so oh. he asked me like and three me. weeks ago. Yeah. Thank you. Always do.